What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the latest, the newest edition of the Nesson After Hours podcast presented by People's United Bank. Today, we're going to dive deep. It's going to be serious. It will be uncomfortable at times. I feel like we continue to do this because people in our country cannot learn, but we have two of the best here to help all of us learn a little something new and how we can all play a part. Celia Godwin, Emerson Lazio with you today. Yes, and we're also joined by two guests. We got Renee Montgomery of the Atlanta Dream. She's a two-time WNBA champion as well as a national champion with the Yukon Huskies. We also have Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe who covers the Celtics. He's down in the Orlando bubble. I just want to say thank you to both of you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It looks like he's in the bubble getting bothered. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting bombed in a bubble. <laughs> Chris, Chris Haynes. What uh, up, Chris? We yeah. follow him on, uh, on Twitter all the time. So yeah. Tell Chris I said, what's up? Renee Montgomery said, what's up? He said, what's up? <laughs> See, you got, we are live here, so you just think. Yeah, you, hey, it's all good, man. messing around here. I'm not messing around. I'm live. This, this is live TV, this is live podcast, and this is what we do on the Nest and After Hours yeah. podcast. We all come together, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and one team, one team. <laughs> um, Gary, I just want you to set us the stage for us real quick. Uh, on Tuesday, we were hearing rumors, reports of the Raptors potentially not wanting to play their game one matchup against the Celtics. Can you walk us through everything that was happening Tuesday, early Wednesday morning? Well, what happened was... Um... The video from Jacob Blake shooting kind of uh, distributed like Monday, Tuesday. And so Fred Van Vliet, after they had won their series, basically kind of dropped the bomb that like, hey, I'm just not in the basketball right now. We're not thinking about playing. And a lot of players followed suit. Norman Powell talked after he did. Um, and kind of there was a vibe that that basketball just wasn't important. And for them to kind of revive themselves and be ready for Thursday, that just didn't seem possible. Um, and then when's it so, you know, players were, were talking about the issues, uh, but they've done that most of the time down here in the bubble. So that was no big surprise. But then Thursday afternoon, sorry, Wednesday afternoon, the next day, you know, uh, the close, potential closeout game between the Bucks and the uh, Magic, all of a sudden the Bucks decide, we're going to pull the plug right now. And I think that there was some pressure uh, on Milwaukee because obviously it's an hour from Kenosha. And two, George Hill, a couple nights before, had just said, I don't even know why we're here. So yeah. there, was some, there was some real, like, disdain and anger. And I think helplessness. Guys down here feel like their message isn't getting out. The jerseys, the names on the back of the jerseys, the Black Lives Matter on the court, some of the media messages they've given – that's been great, but then they look on video and see another black man being shot seven times for committing, if anything, a misdemeanor or a minor crime. So they look to themselves and go, why are we here? I'm ready to go home. And is basketball really that important? And so that's what really, and then, then guys started being frustrated. Guys are frustrated already because yeah. it's, they've been down here more than two months. Some of these teams got down here late June. Okay, so they've been down here a minute and no access to families. Now families are getting out of quarantine this weekend, so that will help. A lot of families are down here now, but for the last several weeks, it's just been ball, uh, video games, swimming, 
maybe playing some golf. You can't do some, you only do so much of that. Like without going home, going to your favorite restaurants, going to your favorite places, being with your family. So the players are a little annoyed right now. And I think that's what led to kind of everything. Brene, you opted out of the 2020 season for reasons solely based around this. What has your communication been like with the women down in the wobble? Yeah, thank you for using the mobile. Um, no, it's been it's been interesting. What what Gary is describing, the, how the players felt, that's the main reason that I opted out. You know, it's when you can't imagine focusing on basketball. There seems like there's too much going on that you just can't. I didn't see myself doing it. That and everyone was wondering like, why can't you do both? I don't get it. Like, there's a, they're going to be doing different things in the wobble, and I'm like. I myself am a passion player, so I can't wrap my mind around needing to study how I'm supposed to study, needing to be focused in practice, need to be locked in in the games. I just didn't see it for myself. So when he started describing how the players felt, that's how I felt when I opted out. Um, Fast forward to now, what's going on, I've never felt more connected. Uh, I've never felt more connected to the WNBA, uh, the players, even me not being inside of the bubble. I was just talking to Sydney Colson this morning and, and she was just saying that, you know, the players, they, they felt, they felt that, you know, they felt all of us, we, we feel when it happens. And I think if nothing else, people are going to start to see that athletes, you know, I, I think they see us as these superhuman people that are like robots that we don't have feelings. We're up and down the court. They want us to just play and, and keep our heads down. And I think now people are starting to see that, okay, there's feelings attached to these people. Mental health has been talked about a lot. That's usually never talked about in sports. So I think different things are starting to come with this for the questions that people are like, well, what can a boycott do a lot? Yeah, Gary, uh, how effective has this been since we've seen not just one game, but multiple games and across multiple different sports take a pause right now to focus solely on this message? How effective has that been? I don't know if we could say that right now. Um, I think that the players wanted to play. They wanted to, they didn't want to walk out. I think there's a lot of repercussions here. These meetings over the last few days have been emotional. First of all, let's not assume that every player thinks the same. Okay. That's a really bad assumption. There's some players that were ready to leave and there are some players that wanted to stay. There's some players that are, are, are okay being down here. There's some players that's driving them crazy. Okay. So, they had, yes, they, yeah. had get, they had to get everything. Sure. They had to get everything out, and then they had to figure out the repercussions of okay, if you walk out on the season, if you cancel this, mm-hmm. do you do you know the repercussions between the players' union and the owners? The relationship in the NBA is very good. You'll ruin that. It, this could have repercussions for players twenty years from now if you do this. Are you ready to make that commitment? And as Jalen Brown told the guys, he was like, "Listen." If you're just leaving to go back to the pool, to home, to the pool, and hang out with your family, and kick it, and listen to music, and smoke hookah, we, we need to stay here. You need to be in the front lines of your communities if we're going to make this commitment. If we're going to go do this, do this all the way. Like, be in the front lines of your community. So, I think a lot of players thought that and said, we can do just as good of work down here with more negotiating, more talks with the owners about what we can do, because I think they want the owners to be more active. They're like, listen, we're rich. You guys are really rich. Okay, you have power. You have influence. You, have, you can get into rooms we can't. You need to speak out and talk to these politicians. We need to make change. And so they've just obviously released kind of a statement of, of commitment 
to making those changes. So we'll see what happens. But I do think the NBA did lead the way and the WNBA because WNBA wasn't playing yeah. either. They, yeah. you know, the entire league came out and spoke. All the players still haven't spoken to us and a lot aren't today. The WNBA players have already talked. That's, that says a lot. And they set the tone as well as the NBA for baseball, for MLS, for Naomi Osaka and tennis. Yep. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's crazy that baseball, you know, kind of responded to this, right. a, a sport that's 7% black, you know, so it does have across the board impact, but let's see if it does have concrete changes in policies to reduce police brutality and racism. Do you believe, Renee, that this will result in concrete changes? You know, I think that now that it's been such a, a, a big thing, and when I say a big thing, if you boycott the games, right, it's all everyone was talking about. There was the Republican National Convention going on. We're all talking about sports. We're talking about sports stopping. So I think with that topic, people are going to keep on asking, what are the changes? What are the concrete changes? So I don't think the media or anyone is going to let nothing happen. You know, a lot of people were criticizing the NBA and the WNBA and the other leagues of what can those two, three days of boycott do? And I'm, um, I'm not even in the bubble or the wobble. And I know that that's a concern. You know, people want to have that lasting effect. They, players don't want to just keep putting band-aids. You know, this, there, there's only so much you can do immediately, but it's the commitment. And I think that's what players want. They want that long-term, this is not going to be an overnight fix commitment from the leagues, commitment from the, the owners. That's, that's what the players want to see. They want to feel like they're not fighting this battle by themselves, you know? And, and so to, to, to Gary's point, I don't know when you'll be able to see the, the results of a boycott, but I do know that now the owners, now the leagues, they know the players are serious, you know, and they know that if they are going to make a list of demands and they are going to have ask and commitments, I think it's understood now that the players are serious about getting that happening. And so that's important as a player, in all negotiations, players always know in the players' negotiations from the side of the league, it always feels like, you know, you're trying to, to get as much as you can and you're, and you're always going to be fighting almost an uphill battle because it's the, it's the owners are the richest, you know, so they, they, can, they hold a lot of the cards. But I think if nothing else, this shifted things a little bit to where the players have, feel like they have more control and say in, in something that will happen. Yeah, you feel like they should, especially black players, should, should leverage like their talent here to promote change at, at, at every possible opportunity that they get. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think it's up to, and I always try not to do this, I think it's up to the player. You know, when I opted out, I made it very clear that I have no hard feelings about people opting in. I don't okay. feel any different. I don't think that I care any more than somebody that's playing right now. I don't think that you can measure somebody's feelings or somebody's commitment by what they do in a sense of what they do out loud, you know? So there might be some players that, you know, they're, they're making way and they're doing different things their way, but I never want to put a certain pressure on anyone to feel like they have to do it. You know, if anything, the press shouldn't have to do it. The pressure should have to be the one to fix, fix a lot of the problems, but here we are the oppressed trying to make it right. So I never want to put that added pressure on to, to, for anybody. And even if it's an athlete, now a lot of times people try to tell athletes, you know, you're a role model and you have to do this and you have to do that to be a role model. And while I take that serious, because I know people look up to me, a lot of athletes don't want that role. You know, a lot of athletes will come right out and say, I didn't sign up to be a role model. I signed up to be a basketball player, not knowing that both, I mean, they know that both came along with it, but 
with that same thought process, there's going to be so many different views, so many different upbringings. And I never want to force somebody to have to have create change in a, in a certain way I did. That's why I never felt any type of way if people had told me they were going to opt out and they didn't. I mean, this is a, this is a real life decisions, you know, this is implications that don't just affect us, but there's family that depends on us financially. So yeah, I, I never want to say who, who should leverage or who shouldn't, but if you can and you want to, I mean, right now, there's no better time than now. There's a lot of different ways to handle something and to approach it. And it's not just, you know, one size fits right. all. You'll have to do the, the same thing. Um, uh, Gary, I, I've, I've heard reports about the box reaching out to uh, the attorney general for the state of Wisconsin. I've heard about players trying to get other players on their team to register. Uh, Mark J. Spears tweeted out that 20% of all NBA players are registered to vote. Are, are, is this one change that they can make immediately by just getting all the guys on their team registered to vote? Is that something that's happening right now? Sure. Yeah, because I think that there's players who are, I think this is a very interesting time. I think since the death of George Floyd, a lot of the younger players, I think we put the, the millennials, okay, we put them in a really, we put them in a category of all they care about is Instagram, Twitter, their followers, uh, the new sneakers. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm hanging out with Drake tonight. That's all, <laughs> that's really not true. And I, but I do think that a lot of the millennials, the players that are born, because there's a lot of great NBA players that are born from 1995 to 2000. Jason Tatum, Zion, Luca. I mean, players that have, are amazing that are literally 22 to 23 years old. Oh, guys. Yes, and they're just getting kind of aware of the world around them because they've lived ball. They've lived ball, they lived friends, video games, but now they realize they're grown men and they have to realize that there's a world around them. Some of these guys are now fathers. And I think what they've done is they've learned more about their society, what will work, their community, how to contribute to their community. And one of those is the registering to vote. And I think that a lot of these players weren't as into politics and into the election as they should have been. And some of the older players, like a Chris Paul, was like, we need to ensure that you guys are, you guys want to make an impact. You know, you guys want to want to do something, vote. And, and, and it's great to turn around and in March, but are you voting in November's election? Are you voting for your congressman, for your senator, for, you know, your local judge who might make decisions that do levy unfair sentences against people of color. So I think that is what made, has made them aware. I think a lot of these players have read and done some research over the pandemic to learn more about the struggles of like a John Lewis, obviously, a Martin Luther King. Okay, because that's before they were born. A lot of these guys don't remember. I mean, Tupac and Biggie are holograms to them. Okay, they don't remember them mm -hmm. being alive. So we have to realize how young some of these young people are. And so they, they don't know as much their history, but I think they're learning it. And I think that's what's been very important is that they have tried to essentially use this time in this pandemic to learn more about their, the world around them that's more than just basketball. Yeah, and it's the 57 year anniversary today of the I Have a Dream speech mm -hmm. by Dr. Martin Luther King. And uh, Renee, I know this, these are many of the issues that you are working on right now, is that right? Yeah, it definitely is, and you know, I, we, everyone's talking about the change and what can you do right now? And this is systematic. And that's why I say with police brutality, what, what it does to communities is it completely breaks down a community because it takes a father, 
It takes a mom, it takes a kid away from their families and it breaks down that family dynamic. And so for me, what I've been trying to do is I don't know the answers to that right now, you know, but I do know that you can build. I know how to build a community and build an environment. So here in Atlanta, Morris Brown College is a HBCU that lost their accreditation 20 years ago. And, And when we talk about history, (laughs) <laughs> that school is founded by a former slave, former slaves, you know, and they used to teach people, teach other former slaves how to basically be a, a citizen, you know, and, and that's how Morris Brown College started. And now they don't have their accreditation. So I'm trying to build a community. I'm raising $3 million for Morris Brown. And, and I don't know the solutions to the police brutality. I don't know if there is a solution, but I know that HBCUs, like we can't, when we're talking about history and tradition, you can't just let institutions that have all that in the walls, all of that on campus, you can't just let it fall off. It's the same as we say Black Lives Matter, HBCUs matter. So I, I, that is like my main focus. I don't, because I don't, it's hard to have a solution for a problem that is so big and systematic, but we can build. We only have a couple more minutes here. So um, as we start to wrap up, Gary, where do things stand right now with the NBA moving forward and getting back to playing basketball here? Well, they're practicing now. There's every, all 13 teams have been cleared to practice. So as Renee knows, with a couple of days off, these, yeah. these coaches want to get these guys in and work oh. out. So, so yeah, the, the boycott is coming to an end. Games will begin tomorrow, but we have not got a schedule yet. But I'm assuming the Wednesday games that were canceled will be played uh, Saturday. And then the Celtics and Raptors and the Sunday game, the Thursday games will all be played Sunday. That's the guess, but we've gotten... This thing is fluid. Like, Gary, I have a question for you. Is it because thinking from a coach's perspective, like even when we travel and we land and they want us to get our legs under us, is that why initially the games were slated to maybe start today? Is that why the coaches maybe wanted to get a day in or was it just things weren't finished yet? Things weren't finished yet either. I mean, they were meeting late last night, the owners and the the players. So they, they still don't have a comprehensive schedule. And of course, the coaches are kind of on the outside looking in. They don't, they're right in between. But I knew that they were going to take a day. They were not going to last night say, okay, we're going to resume tomorrow. Okay. Because these, these players, did, nobody's worked out. Nobody shot a basketball. Maybe, you know, privately, they've gone to a gym out here and shot. But there's been no organized work since Wednesday. So these, I mean, every, all 13 teams are practicing. They'll resume this weekend with the conditions uh, that they released with the NBA Player Association and the owners. And hopefully this thing moves forward and they continue to make this a positive experience because so far the bubble, like the Wubble has, has been very positive, very yeah. healthy. Yeah. The, basket, the, the level of basketball has been high. Yeah. yeah. Renee, and out throughout all this, before you go, what's the one thing you can point to right now that kind of gives you hope? Unity. I've been in the WNBA 11 years, you know, and I've never talked to so many NBA players, NFL players, like everybody. When I opted out, like my my Instagram, Twitter, it went crazy of just people saying like, you know, we got you, sis. Like, all right, handle it out there. And I was just like, what? Like, I didn't, I just never, as athletes, we never had four leagues do the same thing at the same time. Like, that's that's unheard of. Like, we we all know each other you know to a certain point like if we ever see each other at all star we're all like hey what's good like we act like we know each other but we've never had so much continuity across the board so when the country's dividing it looks like pro athletes are coming together so to me that's that's a good sign no doubt uh it was incredible to see that to see hockey take the stand that they did to see baseball some of the baseball teams take the stand that they did 
Um, Gary, uh, covering this for you personally, how has it been for you? Oh, it's been awesome, to be honest, to be part of history. Uh, the routine is a little different, you know, the, you take your temperature every day, the oxygen saturation, you get tested every day, but you know you're healthy, you know you're in an environment where the NBA is not playing with anybody. So nobody can leave the premises. You can't walk and get some chicken wings. You can't, you can't, you can't, go, you can't go to Disney and-, and, and, and What, no the- Splash Mountain? Oh, Are you, you kidding me? You can't do the teacups. You can't, <laughs> you, can't, you can't kick it with Mickey, none of that. They, they make sure you are on this campus um, all, at all times. So it can get confining. I can understand the players being a little bit uh, yeah. homesick and ca- yeah. with cabin fever, but the historic aspect of it, you realize yeah. like this is something that will probably, who knows, it could happen again in four months when the season resumes. Right. If this COVID doesn't calm down, but you kind of think this is, this is historic. So for me, it's been a, it's been a real honor to be down here and then to see the players be so politically awakened, speak about their communities. For me, as a, as a black man who's been around a while, it's, it's refreshing to see the younger people become more aware of their communities and not, as I said before, be all about Instagram and, oh, these are my new sneakers and, oh, I've got a clothing line and all that. Like, that's cool. That's real cool. But the fact that they're worried about their communities and the people that haven't made it as far and, and maybe weren't as physically, you know, athletic and all that to make the NBA who are suffering in their communities, for them to be worried and concerned about them, to me, is refreshing. Uh, Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe, Renee Montgomery, two-time WNBA champion with the Atlanta Dream. Both of you have been tremendous. Thank you so much for joining the Nestle After Hours podcast presented by People's United Bank. We look up to both of you, and thank you for making a difference and leaving a lasting impact on this community. Thank you for having me. Thank you, appreciate it. Amazing, insightful conversation with both of them. Truly appreciate having both of them on uh, for this episode of After Hours Podcast. Um, it's just been good to learn and to listen. That's, that's all I've been trying to do over the last couple of months here is just listen, because it's not about me as a white um, This is Oh this my God, same with both else. of us, for sure. Yeah, so, I, I, uh, yeah it, was, I, it was awesome to have both of them on. Uh, I learned a lot in the conversation there. I know like Renee's been working her tail off. I mean, Gary's smacked down, you know, down there inside the bubble and he is grinding. He is covering all of this that is happening in Orlando right now. He's on the front lines, if you will. Yeah, but, for, for history, you know, literally. Yes, for history. And, and you just heard Gary say that. But yes, this country is a country that needs to respect black lives more. Right. And there are people out there who have a lot more to learn mm-hmm. and I wish people would have more of an open mind and an open heart right now and yeah. stop being so angry. I mean, empathy, that's the thing that is just truly lacking in, in so many parts of this conversation. It's just no empathy at all. Um, you know, I believe in the justice system when it applies to all and is fair and equal to all and it's not. And we know that history has shown that stats back that up, research backs that up. There's no disputing that. Um, the only thing that gives me hope is like Renee said, the unity, the fact that we're having these conversations that people, different backgrounds and different beliefs are uniting all behind this one cause to try to make the world a better place 
for the, the future generations to come. And as long as that's the focus, that's going to give me hope that one day we will see that. Yeah, like, and, and people need to understand players sitting out like these games and, and deciding to, to unify. It's not about like boycotting a league or striking the league. It's, it's really to take themselves out of the limelight in a way. That way we can kind of focus on the issues and the number one major issue that we have in our country right now. And, and sports almost gives a lot of us a reason to ignore it and escape. But right now, I don't think we can ignore it. And I don't think we should be trying to escape it. We got to take this thing head on. Sports is the reward for functioning society and society is not functioning very Bingo, well. Bingo, Queen. Bingo. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm just happy to always have these conversations and to continue to talk to the people from back home, back home in Florida. There's some really hard conversations I've had to have with people and mm -hmm. it's tough. It is. And, it, and it's, it's left me in, in tears some days and angry other days. And, you know, like I said, the one thing I'm holding on to is that there is unity. And I do believe that if this message continues and you get more powerful people involved in this discussion, we will see change. Um, and make sure to vote, people. Yep. Remember, coming up fast, let your voice be heard. Um, your, vo your, your voice and your vote does matter. Good stuff, young lady. I had a good time today. We will be back again next Friday. Same yeah. time, same place. Celia Godwin, Emerson Lotzi of the Nesting After Hours podcast, presented by People's United Bank. That's a wrap, people.